Hi, I'm Holiday Kirk, and thank you for listening to the New Metal Agenda podcast. If you want to help further expand the New Metal Agenda, check us out on patreon.com slash newmetal underscore agenda. Membership perks include ad-free episodes, Patreon-exclusive podcasts, the ability to submit questions for guests ahead of time, free merch, and more. Thanks and enjoy the episode. If somebody wants to jump in after we start, I can roll with it. That's it's what I do. I'm good at that. Okay. All right. I'm giving you a sync point between my recording and your recording. Three, two, one... There you go. Guy's good. He's, he's a pro. I'm leaving that part in. Good evening from Los Angeles, ladies, gentlemen, people that don't give a fuck. I am Holiday Kirk. Welcome to the New Metal Agenda. With me today are my co-host, Double Z. What's up? Grandfather. Good evening. And it's the motherfucking season three premiere of the New Metal Agenda. We're back, baby. We are so back, back like we never left. Back better than ever. Uh, back in more ways than one. And joining us today is... uh. Not our new co-host, but Chris Wade, whose hands are full and his life expectancy has been diminished just by breathing the air out there, huh? Coming to us uh, yes. live from New York. Uh, actually, I'm lucky enough to be in Los Angeles right now. Uh, oh, hey. My <laughs> wife and I were uh, truly holding up the sky in New York the moment we left. Um, oh, yeah. You, everything you collapsed. Just, you just moved. Uh, yes, we did. We did just move. I'm I'm not being super public about it, uh, just because I don't want weirdos looking into my personal life. But uh, we are now LA based. Speaking of weirdos, being. sorry you set me up for that. Sears Riviera, <laughs> who's just a couple minutes late, but we got Chris here on a strict time limit, so I wanted to roll with it anyway. Season three premiere. Please welcome another one of our co-hosts, Riviera. Hello. Yeah. No. Sorry, I'm a little late. This is the first this and this is how everyone's going to be introduced to you, by the way. Millions of people right now know you now as the late one. Oh, so. I know. Very on brand for me. The late one who's a little bit of a weirdo. Oh, God, she's leaning into it. <laughs> uh, Chris, do you want to introduce yourselves, though, for the people that don't know who you are? Yes, my name is Chris Wade. I produce a podcast called Chapo Trap House. Uh, through that, I also produce some history podcasts you might know called Hell of Presidents and Hell on Earth, one about U.S. history through the U.S. presidents, the other about 17th century German history and kind of the uh, violent demise of feudalism and birth of capitalism uh, through the Thirty Years' War. That's Hell on Earth. I also do a music podcast with my aforementioned wife, Molly, called And Introducing, uh, and that one is Artists' Memoirs. We kind of go through people's artists entire careers through reading their memoirs and uh talking about them um that's most of the podcasts i do but not all of them i take a pathetic sort of pride in being the only los angeles media type that doesn't know what chapo trap house is what the fuck <laughs> you'll be at a, i'll be at a bar or something and people just be like people will be like or chapo or come town or something i'm like what the fuck are you guys talking what are you talking about what are you talking about those are kind of a different type of guy those are different guys those are different types of guys it's a fine line, but I, I would split it. Okay. Splitting the guys. Anyway. Uh, it's totally fine. Uh, we have exactly as many uh, fans and listeners as we need. No need to proselytize Chapo at this point. The other stuff, <laughs> Hell on Earth, uh, Hell of Presidents, and Introducing, those are the things you absolutely must go check out. Uh, the other thing, whatever. If you find it, it's cool. Today, speaking of Introducing, today we are talking about Limp Bizkit's second studio album. Released June 22nd, 1999 on Flip Interscope. Produced by Terry Date, who made it sound great. It's Significant Other. Which, along with Korn's blockbuster Fall the Leader, released the year prior, marks the end of the first 
era of new metal and marks the second, which is the super sellout era. This is the post breakthrough <laughs> era. This is when everything had to sound amazing, be an hour plus long. Music videos needed to be just stellar budgets out the ass. This was this was the peak. This is peak new metal. 99, 2000, 2001, just the absolute peak years. Everyone was getting rich. Nobody thought the bottom was going to drop out. Significant other, though. Let's let's talk about it now. Good, good album. Good album. What do we think? Good album. I I was I haven't listened to this straight through since probably the year 1999, and uh, I was having a blast revisiting it. It's it's pretty much top to bottom awesome. Uh, it rips, sounds great. Maybe a little fat on it. Uh, that as you were saying, every th- album has to be an hour long. There are few songs that I would cut, but you know, even even those aren't terrible. They just make it go on a little long. But yeah, I think this album rips. Chris. I mean, other Chris, Cran, Cranfather, season three, everybody, season three, Cranfather. What about you? What's your What's your take on this one? Uh, two out of the three best singles the band ever recorded. Those to me are uh, "Break Stuff," not really, and "Rearranged." That's it. So, you don't think that's subjectively album? Easy. album? It's, it's not great to me. I, I didn't want to open with this. I'll play devil's advocate later on, but we will we will discuss this possibly track by track if you guys want to. Riviera, have you listened to this all the way through? Oh, yeah. No, I listened to it all the way through for the first time, like on Monday when you said, you know, you're in, you're going on the podcast. Um, yeah, as as the resident baby who knows three things about music. Um I'd heard like a decent number of the tracks off of this, but had never sat down and, and listened to it. Cause I feel like when I, when I was first into new metal, it was like, Oh, Limbiscuit was icky and for boys. Um, which is which, an accurate statement. Idiots. Which, <laughs> which yes. yeah, I mean, not untrue, but also like, I would have loved this. So my, my theorem on this one, cause I've always been of the same mind. I had been of the same mind for years before, turning around and deciding elsewhere is that it was too long too much fat and it needed to be trimmed it's front loaded and that was how i had felt about it but but as over time i've decided that it, it it has to be way too long that is a part of what makes it a product of its moment it needs to be too long it needs to have two hidden tracks both spoken word matt pinfield and les claypool showing up at the end of the album for no reason it needed to be like this because it needed to summarize that peak moment in all of its excessive glory. And I think that it, it's a, I think it's a classic. And I think what has to happen is you have to find like one or two deep cuts that really get to you. Like I've always liked, don't go off wandering. And I think show me what you got is good. And then the album kind of clicks because when it starts, you know, when you got just like this nookie break stuff, rearranged bah, 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 back to back to back, it's, it becomes easy to just be like, well, that's all I'm going to need. Like, I mean, how many, how many CD players in the time were just that, 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 and then next, next, next CD, next album go over That's to something else. for me when I first started listening to this record a few years ago, it's hard, I found it out of Goodwill for like a dollar. And I, those first few tracks were all I listened to. The second I heard the line shit, that's in a diaper and I'm broke. I just turned it off. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, it's, 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 it's when you're going to, when you're going to front load your album to that degree, it's, it's, it's obviously going to take some, some time to figure out that there's other stuff here. So it didn't work for me right away. When I wrote like my my list of the 50 greatest new metal albums of all time, I kind of had to get it on there begrudgingly. At first I was like, I don't know <laughs> if it's really strong enough for you that kind of ranking. You had to pay respects. 
You know, I yeah. really did. It would have been so fucked not to have it on there. And so I just kind of had to lean in and like figure it out. We can agree. We can all agree, though, that No Sex is the worst song on here, right? Fuck you. No, it's not. Okay. Oh, it's a two-way tie <laughs> between that and I'm Broke. Wow. I'm broke the, the No Sex Defender. Bad. No, No Sex blows. It's awful. I like that it's, song quite a bit. I think the lyrics it, are very it, stupid, but I think all the lyrics in the album are very stupid. Yeah, so was, it's it's, this is not a smart album, Zizi. You can't rank no. it. Like, well, it it works for me because it's like the uh, the inverse, the yang to Nookie's yin. You know, yeah. uh, Nookie is is like, yeah. What once I like on for my first listen, re-listen through of this, I was like, this song is about uh, Fred being pissed at a girl for fucking him too much uh this is outrageous even for this album standards i I cannot buy this but then once i unlock that it's like oh yeah this goes this is a handshake with nookie uh it it, it fell together for me i was gonna say and sonically it's very good like the hook is very catchy i find myself singing it to myself like in the car and then i realize if i ever say any of those lyrics in public i'm probably gonna get rightfully (laughs) some dirty looks but well i mean i think that's the mark of an album that's pretty strong is that if you can argue about every which track is the worst at least that's that's probably good what was everyone's contemporary experience with this record like when did you first come into contact with it when did you get into it my only experience was it was seeing the guitar tabs at my drum lessons the music store i took (laughs) drum lessons at seeing like the book of guitar tabs for it i thought it looked really scary and intimidating i don't i never even opened it the guy oh. on the cover, I thought it was like super. I was fucking eleven years old. Okay, give me a break. Uh, that's right. You were editing out the bad words in Slipknot songs at that time. In Audacity, oh. yes. Okay, I was raised. No, uh, very that Christian. album came out a week later. He had to wait for that. That's right. But um, so what about you guys though? Did you guys day of launch? I was, I was alive for that, but I was but an infant when it came out. So I came to this album much later, about 2012. I saw this really shitty VH1 documentary about new metal and they like just leaned into how terrible Limp Bizkit was, but they yeah, played a clip of break stuff. And I was very, very intrigued. So for a while, all I had from Limp Bizkit was the greatest hits album, but the significant other tracks on there were what really like hooked me in. Then I wrote the band off when I got a little bit older because I was like, this is dog shit. Came back, though, once I found that Goodwill copy, and uh, here I am on a fucking new metal podcast. <laughs> uh, I was taking cues from uh, MTV at the time, and uh, some of the few friends I had were into some of the heavier stuff. Corn, Marilyn Manson, that stuff kind of kind of spooked me, kind of scared me. Marilyn Manson, too scary for uh, also 11-year-old Chris. Um, but Limp Bizkit was right in the, the, the scary but silly zone, so I did buy this uh album with mowing the lawn money in probably summer not as it came out but summer 1999 uh and wore it through that year uh you know walking the dog in my walkman uh with this on uh i was way 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 into this album from 99 to 2000 and then uh put away put it away like other childish middle school things not to really think about it other than it coming to me that break stuff actually rocks in I don't know back in like 2014 or 2015 and now thanks to the show I gave it another listen and I was like you know what I was right then it was it's a it's good it's cool it is it's definitely one of those things where it's like after you've soaked your brain in the pickle juice of like LCD sound system for years, yes, exactly. and, years and years you listen to break stuff and you're like what the what what am I doing what the fuck am I doing I don't like grizzly bear I don't wanna, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to listen to this. And, and there's, then there's no going back. There's no going back. 
That's my whole my whole job is giving people permission to be like that. You you'd be shocked how many times I post songs that everyone we take for granted as everyone at least at least in the new metal sphere loving and people being like, I don't care who knows it. I love this song. Like, dude, it's freak on a leash. <laughs> we all love this song. It's like yes. stairway to heaven now. Like we're all we're all here for this. But people are still people still think people still think that it's something they gotta be like be like kind of nervous well, about. I think there's kind of a it's not even like it's cringe because it's new metal. It's that it's cringe because it's a meme. That too. See, that does hurt too. That does hurt too. Yeah. I, I was on, I was on, I've had to learn how to use uh, TikTok recently because. I'm sorry for your loss. Well, you know, you can't hang out on the burning Zeppelin of Twitter forever. You gotta, gotta <laughs> land somewhere. And I, I've been like working out how to use it. And there's just so much on that app. That's just stupid like there's like people do like makeup tutorials to break stuff and and then you, and you watch that and you're like they're like you're like you're like you're like they're re-cringifying it they're cringing cringifying it in a way that we we didn't have before they what, have, are you, you, are you saying that being associated you know with bad, something so. women like is cringe oh we got the new got co-host him. on this one yeah <laughs> it's right, such a lazy analysis Holding. If you're seeing cringe content with these songs, that's how you know it's truly back because people are earnestly enjoying it and applying it to what they're doing. No, dude, nobody no, TikTok on TikTok is earnestly enjoying it. I don't use TikTok. It's like it's like it's like it's going by. It's going viral. We have to see. Like the thing, the thing that I love about Twitter is on Twitter things still like go that you still like. Okay, oh man, don't let me get too into this. But on Twitter, you can still make things that are funny and then they go viral. Whereas on TikTok, things go viral and then you make things. Like you chase after the things going viral. So if like one person makes a makeup tutorial with break stuff as a soundtrack, fucking thirty thousand people right. will all yeah. Make then that. it's it's the trending sound for makeup tutorials. I I think in terms of that, like coming back to things, especially among the millennial generation, there is a a, a very difficult and fraught relationship between like taste and consumption and class status and signifiers and so a lot of things that are uh as a certain cohort of millennials aged up and came to associate with uh less lower class interests certain types of things like new metal uh certain types of hip-hop certain types of rock and roll music it became uh not embarrassing basically to to admit that there was one one time when you were uh uh naive enough to enjoy those before you aged into certain types of uh you know class signifier types of music i wouldn't say it's naivete though i think you were sincere enough you literally yes, exactly. there was no there was no barrier between you just being like i like that song it wasn't like well what did yes, pitchfork exactly. give this album like you weren't like i have to yeah. check in on this it was just literally so just like get- cool sound you hit a point so where you, you stop letting like, your guilty uh, pleasures be guilty. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then you get get into a space where being like, oh, I, I can say that I like that, but only if it's like couched in irony or saying it's a, a guilty pleasure or something, or if there is in some way that I am uh, acknowledging that it is objectively, quote, bad, yet I still like it for whatever iro- ironic reasons. And uh, I don't know. I think that, that that is much less prevalent now and it's certainly a a gremlin that i'm i actively work to kill in my own brain you know what's funny is i have an inverted gremlin now like i'll listen to the national and be like what is this shit like (laughs) i can't believe i was like i can't believe i ever liked this i was in high school singing about the money owing money to the money that i owe like what was i doing (laughs) what was i wasting all that time for 
So I, I, and, and I think the other thing that's very compelling about, about new metal is how songs like Nookie haven't gotten zapped by the, the classic rock military industrial complex that like smashing pumpkins or Nirvana have. Cause these haven't gotten like started getting that like radio burn of like respectable rock music. It's still yeah, like this, years. this stuff is, I don't know, man. I, I don't know, man. A lot of this shit still is weird. Well, Still sounds weird. Here's here was one of my takeaways from this is that you can really tell that Fred Durst is at least two thirds of a vet. Um, <laughs> a like, what? A, he was in the navy. Yeah, and you can. Okay, you tell. have to explain yourself. Okay, so one of the things that I have found, uh, I spent the pandemic doing a lot of like leftist veteran organizing um anti-recruiting stuff uh we all we all did something Uh, and what i (laughs) learned from hanging out with a lot of vets is that you like can't go five minutes in a conversation without somebody starting to talk about uh poop or dicks like a hundred percent of the time and this really made limp biscuit click to me well Um, i'm not a vet that's It's from middle America, close enough. Well, that's also true. What what I love about go, he's touching his temple. Go. Uh, Well, I was just thinking, there's just on like Fred Durst's whole deal. The thing that I'm thinking about is as I try to like approach Limp Biscuit, you know, critically now is as I was listening to this, I was thinking that like all great art exists in tensions. You know, and it's often like tension between uh, ambition and skill or ambition and, you know, the material, you know, you know, how much you could your, your, your budget or how much you can materially afford to spend on the something. And I do think that the essential tension that makes Limp Biscuit great is that it is uh, the partnership between like one insanely ambitious theatrical multi-instrumentalist and his chosen mouthpiece who is god's dumbest idiot yeah you know i've, I've said like, before they're i've the, said before they're like a yin yang tattoo tattooed on a florida man's bicep yes exactly it's like the ambition of the musicality combined combined with fred durst's will to be stupid in a an often wonderful way is what makes this band and this album sound so great and unique what what i love about fred durst now that people fucking hated at the time is that i think that it and i mean this with no disrespect he is a businessman first and a musician second like that dude is the most professional networking ass guy to have been a famous rapper in the late 90s so he has this song out here called show me what you got and it's the whole thing is just him going through like his rolodex and making sure he's like still good with so he's got a lyric on here he says uh to the firm, you always got my back. Corn for the love and the swapping up of tracks. <laughs> my brother Corey D, my man Terry Date. We brought it to the plate and he made it sound great. Who the fuck shouts out their management firm in a song, in, in a rock song? Who is like, who is like, by the way, thanks so much for booking those shows for me. Those went great. Appreciate it. He's like, he's like giving a toast at a Christmas party. He's like, oh, he's no, like, it's, boss, like giving it's a toast literally at a the, party. the post that everybody makes when they like get work in theater. It's like, I'm thrilled to announce that I'm going to be accepting this opportunity. Thank you to like this list of all these people. Here are all the connections. Like, come see me whenever. And like, that's exactly what he's doing. I don't know. I think that thing is profoundly well, funny. At the time, I think it's it, it's almost you almost take it for granted how at the time you'd hear this and be like, "Fuck this, yeah, man, fuck this guy!" Like it sounds so. Per- it's a sellout move. It's like, oh, he's such a sellout. Whereas now, 
this is like this is like common practice. Like everyone does this kind of shit now. What city did you meet the child molester in? What? What the, the fuck? Rochester. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say I like that he uh he shouts out all the mid market cities in that song. He's not just like Chicago, New York, LA. He he he's like Cincinnati, uh Louisville. And I was like, Cleveland. Yeah, man. Cincinnati. Ohio has never gotten such love. So yes. clever. Well, Ohio and Florida are 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 real spiritual uh cousins. I think it's because uh I seventy five drains all of Ohio's old people down into Florida. Okay, also- yeah, I, I buy that. <laughs> Also, in one of the most overly hysterical examples of trigger warnings I've ever seen on the internet, there was a Reddit subreddit that was doing like a discussion about this album. They put a trigger warning for trans assault on this album because it has the lyrics spit on a boy named Tina in Pasadena, which I genuinely don't think that was true. I think he thought it was a funny rhyme. rhyme. He was like, yeah. he was just like, he was like, man, this sounds funny. This is funny in here, right? I, th- I think we all should, we should all just take a breath because that's not yes. what's going on here. Fred Durst is not smart enough to be transphobic. I think he's yeah, not I stupid say, enough to be transphobic. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know what enough? the word means is what I meant. I'm going to cut that for you. I'm going to cut you. I'm going to cut that. For you. You're not getting canceled on the season premiere. I'm going to save no, that. I, I, I mean, he doesn't know what the word means. I, I, he's not. I mean, Kirk, you and I can confirm he at least is cool of trans people because when we saw them live, which, by the way, listeners, is where Kirk and I met for the first time at a Limp Bizkit concert. (laughs) That's wild. He he shouted out non-binary people when he was trying to get all the men to show them show him their breasts which (laughs) Kirk did by jumping on my shoulders. And for reference, Kirk, how tall are you? I I am six foot one. I'm five ten and Kirk fucking jumped on my shoulders just to show Fred there's his man tits. I could see you. So. I could see you like thinking that through in real time where you're just like, he was actually very woke when he asked the whole audience to uh, show off parts, be yeah, body positive. So the command was something along the lines of, I don't give a fuck what gender you are. Show me your tits. Pretty much. But he specifically wanted the men first. The bar is low the men for famous people from the 90s. The bar the is low. The is low. And then reluctantly women. The bar is low. I'll take it. I will. Pro vaccine at Lala too. Yeah. So, uh, aside from I watched this, that, though, I watched the live stream of the Lala thing. They were they were shredding. They were great. I also love Fred's current look uh, with the red glasses. I think he he's bizarrely like aged into the uh, you know the older Johnny Knoxville like silver fox punk look, which is not what you, when you even as a kid seeing Fred Durst in 1999, you would not imagine this guy is going to age well. Yeah. And yet, and yet. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and you wouldn't have thought that. So before his his current dad era, which yeah, is super clever. If you're growing old, lean into it. The the pre the era before that was the Gold Cobra era, which if you want to talk about not aging well, holy Jesus, you, that's some not aging well shit. I don't even because obviously I wasn't on the new metal agenda at the time at all, and that was just like the most confirming shit ever where you heard like the gold cobra stuff you thought like yeah this genre sucks this band sucks all of this is stupid like yeah, i don't 10 know years if... people will come around on that like we're no, coming they around significant other no they won't they will <laughs> people will love that crunk core era of alternative music in 10 years i'm calling it now oh hollywood and dead will be looked at like we're looking at limp biscuit <laughs> Ooh, that's a bold statement oh yeah, yeah i am yeah, right yeah. I stand by You're that. You're so not. Do you know how many? Especially nuclear, like the MySpace you know how era many stuff. Fucking Ooh. nuclear bombs are in their lyrics. How quick people would be like, maybe this isn't so. Oh, never mind. Like, it how doesn't fast? matter. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Okay. I no, don't it's easy, right? 
really we're gonna get to that point where it's like yeah saying the Epsler and music actually maybe amongst kid late. rock fans i don't but... see it happening i really Hollywood don't dead is to zoom or like, what biscuit is to gen xers what so. in the name have people Jesus, have people sometimes you have an like, unfortunate adolescence what'd you say hmm? oh i said Chris. sometimes you have an unfortunate adolescence we all have, did. Pe- have people attempted to reclaim like attack attack yet? They're attack attack is in hot themselves. water right now because they fuck somebody on a tour. Oh, so that's why they're trying to do. They fucked a couple people on a tour. <laughs> they're going down with the emo ship. They could have claimed us, but they're they're they've they've made their bed. They're lying <laughs> in it. Anyway, did anyone watch? Uh, did anyone who was there contemporaneously? So like Chris, either Chris, Chris Cran, Chris Cran. Did you guys watch uh, TRL at the time? Oh yeah, you had to. Oh yeah, every day after school. I mean, and there was. I mean, there he was. There he was. It was. It was. It was something we've had discussions about on this very show, which was that he monopolized TRL the way that like you would now monopolize like Twitter or a social media app like that. Like he would just be there constantly. And since I wasn't around for it as a social phenomenon, I don't really get how big a deal it was. But through my research, it seems I kind of getting it. Uh yeah, I mean I even as somebody who fancied themselves a little a little punk, I ended up watching it all the time because it often did feel like a vindication of certain types of music. As Pinfield rants at the end of this, it did it if you were young at the time, there did feel like there was a genuine war or conflict, one that could be overcame between uh manufactured uh, uh pop uh, you know, marketed pop of the era and authentic rock and roll of some kind. Like I remember being very invested in the summer that NSYNC's pop and some 41's fat lip were duking it out for number one for like 20 straight weeks on TRL thinking that, you know, feel like knowing that it was stupid, but having some kind of emotional investment that the punk would win over the pop, even though they are in the end, the same thing. Uh, I mean, it, it made level. for, so, it made for an incredibly it's, it's wrestling. It's kayfabe. Well, but yes. but it's like nice because it's like when you are first of all when you're really young you I'm assuming you believe in wrestling. I didn't watch wrestling, but I'm assuming I, when I was eleven, twelve, thirteen, absolutely right. So so when so when you have a song, so the first song to break the boy band streak on TRL was Freak on a Leash. Freak on a Leash goes to number one on the TRL countdown, and that breaks the NSYNC Backstreet Boys back and forth so you have like three bands all obviously signed to massive labels with massive budgets but because it was allowed it broke that streak they get to look like underdogs they get to look like punk rock even though everyone's working with the same money and there's a lot of it so it was an effective it was an effective and clever way for bands like Limp Bizkit and Korn to position themselves as like the underdogs is that you had the teen pop machine just so fucking like dominant that you could be in a band like Limp Bizkit and suddenly look like the little guys for some reason. And I mean, it is like, on an objective level, things like Corn and Limp Bizkit were aesthetically major departures from the stuff that was really at the top of the, um, the charts at the time. And so it did feel like something new was happening, even if just a few years before, like, grunge was in, the, in its same place. And, the, you know... There's that cycle of like, uh, oh God, I forgot who we talked. We talked about it on an episode of and introducing where it's like there's an era of pure pop and then kind of a, a middling era where nobody really knows what's going on and then an era of kind of anti-pop and then it cycles back and forth. So, you know, there was something that felt weird, dangerous. Again, when I said when you first saw Marilyn Manson as like a 10 or 11 or 12 year old, you were like, this is 
there's something evil about this that I, I cannot right there that it, right there with feels you. dangerous for me. Well, you're absolutely specifically right. Specifically, we ended up being correct on that one, but <laughs> yeah, of course. But yeah, uh, I get your point. Any of those guys, Chris? Were you allowed to swear growing up? No, sucks was a bad word in my house. How did you get this album? Uh, I, they, my folks, did not censor my music, but I was not allowed to uh, to use the the inappropriate words. Here's here's a here's an even better question. Did you swear though? To friends, eventually, you know, it creeped in, but I kept it away from parents until very recently. I don't think I said the f word in front of my parents until I was deep into my twenties. Dog, I didn't swear. I didn't start swearing until I was a freshman in high school. Like that's how goody <laughs> two and shoes I was. Is that like I remember myself being like, I'm gonna swear now. Like that is how crazy strict it was. So when albums had like parental, like you got you talk about being scared of Manson. Like when albums had parental advisory stickers, that shit that was terrifying to me. That was like whoa. I, it's like the Necronomicon. I, like you can't, I can't open this. I can't touch this. Okay. Chris, I have a question. You, you were, uh, you grew up in the Halcyon days of MTV. It was like the most important thing. Do you remember the contest where a fan got to ride with Fred Durst in a limousine and just listen to Significant Other? Oh, I gotta find not, this. Not specifically, but I remember that there was stuff like that all the time. Uh, you know, where where they would MTV could broker that kind of access and felt genuinely cool and. You know, a time when like the the uh, video music awards and the uh, the movie awards were like must watch as like what is actually cool this year. Right, we uh, thought that, that was going to replace the Oscars and Grammys. Like that's how important that yes, stuff exactly. was. What? Wait, what do you? It's, what, it's what, hard to could just how it, how it's hard to convey how in like from like ninety eight to I don't know two thousand three two thousand four how. Before it, it, its prominence really gets broken by, I would say reality TV. To be honest, uh, how of important of an arbiter for like the average suburban kid MTV was for these kinds of things. But you can do it. Did anybody watch that PBS segment I posted the other day? <laughs> Did anyone oh, watch that? You know I watched that. I know you. Because I wrote over you it. a fucking essay. It was a it, it was a frontline PBS segment called The Merchants of Cool and it was about how MTV <laughs> has like I know right like you're already laughing like like man that just sounds like some PBS shit but it was a PBS frontline special about like how teen culture has been marketed and disseminated and dissected by companies like MTV to sell to them and there was a whole segment about the manufactured rise of Limp Bizkit and about how like they were paying for radio play they 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 did a they did a, like a not payola, like ran uh, counterfeit as an advertisement on a radio station in Ohio. Shout out Ohio. And um, so and, and this, another thing they point out was that there's an ex an executive from MTV is literally thanked in the linear notes of significant other. And of course, he was on TRL all the time. And these are all things. And obviously, people were talking about like people were like, this is stupid. That's dumb. These are such stupid observations. This is dumb. What do they know anything? But I can like I can really easily put my myself in the shoes of somebody like uh, maybe a, a more literate person, an adult in 2000, 2001, and seeing these things happen and thinking like, this is bullshit. Because it, 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 it totally would be if you were on the ground at that time and this guy's on TRL all the time and he's whipping up controversy and stuff to sell records. Like, again, we just take these things for granted as what you have to do. But at the time, I could see, I could see that like triggering off all the skepticism alarms. We were talking earlier about the the like dumbness of Fred Durst, and I think that that really is in the lyrical on the lyrical level. Like some of these these lyrics are are you know just 
absolutely rock dumb, but I do think that he himself has has an intuitive understanding of showmanship and show business that comes out through it, and it's part of the reason that the, the lyrics are crafted to be as dumb as they are. They're like omnidirectionally angry uh, about like the most base things you can imagine: sex, money, fame. Uh, without specific subjects uh, or you know really signifiers of his 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 specific life. And in that way, you know, they they come they come off as a non there's a non sophistication that comes off on it, but it's clear through his entire affect and having things like two pages of industry thank yous, three pages in the liner notes, three this pages, is all three pages. Text around him, uh, that the man knows how to be an entertainer, both in a visceral way of being of like recording vocals and, and crafting a, a live musical act, and in the business way of how to position yourself as a band and i think that that's probably the way that um he and west borland get along the both because you know west wears all the the makeup and the costumes to get to, to to put on a good live show and then uh fred goes back and says all the thank yous in his backwards baseball hat you know it takes hands two, again two sides of the babies. same cold. coin so i i think that i think that he was very i i had just i had always used this point of comparison to to grunge and how different things were at the end of the decade versus the beginning of it because like toward the beginning of the decade you had bands like pearl jam boycotting Ticketmaster and refusing to release singles off their albums and then by the end of it you had fred durst being like man i just want to give a big shout out to the firm and all my friends at mtv and oh man what a what a ride it's been right guys and it's like it's like and especially when i have to say ticketmaster it's like i, I guess i kind of wish that the former band won but it, it's almost <laughs> it's like a tragically prescient tale though that you can't that 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 the pearl jam approach despite being like the less marketable more daring approach is is it it failed and you can't do it now sorry if you want to be like limp biscuit level big you're going to have to play the game there's there's nothing you could do. Pearl Jam is still one of the biggest touring bands in the world. Yeah, well, I bet they're back. They're like with the exception to the rule. I wonder if they're back with Ticketmaster. I'm sure they're back with Ticketmaster. They, they probably don't have a choice if they're playing a show. Yeah, can you not be? If they're playing a show somewhere I in mean, in America, the chicks still have a career without Ticketmaster, but they're boycotted. I mean, not boycotted, blacklisted from almost every fucking venue in the country. So. Not anymore. That's way over. That's so over. That has to be. That's so insane. Over. That's so crazy. That's not true. There's no way. Yeah, there's I mean, no it's way. it is funny thinking about like these breakthrough artists in these two waves of the same decade, you know, cause as you're saying, yeah, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, of Kurt wearing the, um, the corporate magazine still suck shirt on the cover of Rolling Stone versus what is it? Six years later, uh, you know, shouting out the management company in the song on the album. Uh, it's, it's even though these two acts arguably, fulfill the same niche in the popular col- uh, cultural landscape there was an immediate lobotomization uh of it um i mean certain certain you guys are way deeper into the new metal agenda than i am i'm sure there are certain the the, the the thinking man's new metal acts but certainly the ones that reached the cream of the crop were the uh the break stuff in all day i dream about sex bands you know and i think that when those when those bands were dominant Man, like I, I sometimes I'll post like top 40 charts from like the modern rock, active rock stations from like 2000, 2001, 2002. And people always people always leave these replies that I hate that are like that are like, oh, take me back. And like, I'm like, dude, when all these songs, 
when all of these no 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 no, dude it's like when all of these songs were on the radio at the same time this shit sucked like you can go back now and listen to someday by nickelback but when every song on the fucking radio was someday by nickelback it was awful like you don't you you only you are only looking at it from the perspective of someone that chooses to listen to these songs you if you were forced to hear them every day it would be the evil empire you would be upset about it it's like you know you gotta you gotta live with the life you got you know Thank God, so, radio's dead. Yeah, and thank God, that doesn't really dead. happen anymore. So. Um, but I, I am, I'm, I am saying this though to say that, like, that's why I think new metal has aged so well is because the grunge classics never fell off the radio. They're like more on the radio now than they were then. If you go on Apple Music, the cover of their like rock modern rock playlist is fucking Nirvana. They're the fucking cover of the playlist. They've a band that has been broken up and gone for well over 20 years. It's like, I, I mean, you have to prefer the bands that didn't get the kind of radio burn. Almost 30 years. Almost 30 years. Next year will be 30 years. Yeah, I can't even, can't even. So there's also something about like, you know, Nirvana, those grunge bands, they had, I, you know, at the time people were like, oh, this, it's literally called grunge. It's like ugly and abrasive, but you know. Nirvana, Vetter, or uh, Cobain, Vetter, they, they had the souls of poets, and there was a, a beauty hidden w- within it. A significant Other is, as much as I think it's a, is a good album, it is, like, a deeply ugly album. Like, this, every sound is in it is, like, hideous, and all the sonic choices are, like, me- optimized to make every sound as off-putting as possible. Like, just the sonic texture of it, and then the lyrics are just... Uh, angry violent but not but there's never like a secret uh uh you know twist or turn of being like oh there's something there it's just like it's so hilariously off-puttingly violent or uh, ugly the entire album that it's kind of amazing that at a moment this was the biggest music on earth and makes it fascinating to revisit and again i say ugly even saying that i think it it is good it's just so just uh, incredibly sludgy and gray and uh, off-putting gray you think this is gray this isn't gray oh my god this 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 has never i would say like i would say like alice in chains is a lot grayer than than significant other significant other to me has always been like really shiny and bright i mean that terry day production every instrument is rendered for like a million dollars a note i think it's kind of but maybe the wrong word but you know what i'm talking about about the ugliness of it yes I do, I do, but I, I can't I can't be mad at it because of how much fun it sounds like everyone's having. Yes. Or at least how calculated and effective the effective amount of fun that the boardrooms allowed at the time. Um I, I think that I think that what, what makes this work well is that Fred Durst was a guy who loved celebrity. I think he loved being famous, probably still loves being famous. He was really good at being famous. He was really good at that. And at, at the time of Significant Other, when of Significant Other was released, the ball was rolling down that hill and it was just getting faster and faster and faster and faster. So like they got off the, the Family Values tour, right? And the label actually said to them, this is so 97 $3 bill y'all comes out. And the label's like, okay, you guys should take take a second, take a take a breather, and then we'll get started on the next record. And Fred goes, no, fuck that. And they go right back into the studio to get to work on this. Because I think Fred, in 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 all his like, business sense of all his knowing he knew he's like this is the moment like we have to get on this right now and he was he was bang on and i think that there's right an while excitement. the iron's hot so to speak what 
strike while the iron's hot, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, the iron's glowing. But I mean, there's a million other bands out there that would have been like, whew, yeah, we need a break. I think if you had took, I think if he had took even six months off to all to all go see their families or something, it would have this would have flopped. It wouldn't have happened. I think he was he was just dead right. And I think the album has a real verve to it more than like an ugliness. I think it has a real verve to it of like the band meeting their moment of it all just like about to come together and explode in a way that is that is really exciting. And and it also helps that like like I think that the the middle track on this or something like the middle track is like first, second track on side B, which is in together now with Method Man. Um, Fred, we've we've given a lot of we you know we've talked a lot about how professional he is and how smart he is, but he does love music. Like the guy does love music, and so he when he when he did in together now he went to DJ Premier, like the ultimate in hip hop producers, and make let him know like let DJ Premier know like to his face like here's how much I love your music. I used to listen to these mixtapes of yours. I've got these deep cuts of yours. I would be so honored if you produced this track for me, and he did. And Method Man. I mean, he got to work with Method Man. That was another huge honor for him. Mm-hmm. I think Method Man wrote his verse, but I don't, I don't know about that. Possible, possible. I'm, I'm gonna not include that because I don't want to disrespect Fred Durst like that. Because I know Fred. Fred seemed really have a, have a lot of fun doing that. And um, oh, you know what? It's funny. I actually just went over to the Wikipedia page to confirm this. But DJ Premier, when Fred Durst actually came to DJ Premier about doing the track, the only song that DJ Premier knew was Fate. The George Michael cover, and it's oh, yes. it's it, it. This was such a brief moment that people forget this, but there was absolutely like a one year stretch there where it looked like Limp Bizkit were going to be a one hit wonder band with Faith as being like their only hit. It we were that close. See, if they took that six months off, that's what would have happened. Be like, I'm telling you, they would have been like Alien Ant Farm with yes. the uh, Smooth Criminal. They would have been a small, an even smaller Alien Ant Farm. But Fred knew. Fred knew. He's like, I got to jump all over this. So, but yeah, I think that that's... I remember in Together being uh one of my favorite tracks off that song uh off this album when i was a kid shut the fuck up i think I it was because it that. was probably a lot of our first exposures to re- like real hip hop so album comes out june 22nd 1999 comes in right at number 1 so it's like a little more than a half lot more fuck fucking hell like 700,000 i think copies first week um which is outrageous Good luck. Good luck ever seeing that again in our lifetimes. Could happen. Could happen. That's it that's could. agenda ascendant. Who knows? But yeah, it does. It basically go. It more or less goes platinum in a week. Um, so it's like huge right away. And here's something that you that might surprise you: the highest charting single from this record on the pop charts was "In Together Now," and that topped out at number seventy. Okay. I'm and not surprised so, at all. <laughs> well, I've always thought, well, I've always thought that like this band wasn't quite like a big radio band. But I mean, that song I hear everywhere though. That song is in like hip hop movies. When I go to fucking LA Kings games, I hear that song during intermissions. Like that's that's a massive track. <laughs> I didn't know that that was still kicking around. I don't know. I know. I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna doubt your I mean, experience, but I don't think fair, I've ever people... heard that outside. When it gets placed places, to be fair though, Fred Durst's verse is not what's being played. <laughs> it's method oh. ones. So Brace stuff on Brace stuff though didn't even chart. It did not even hit the Hot 100 at all. And we were talking to Kevin about this because I was expressing to Kevin, our, our mutual friend, who is a VJ on MTV currently. Not a VJ. He's a, he's a host. He hosts a program on MTV. He was telling me about how they were withholding the actual single releases so people would go buy the album, which 
makes a lot of sense. And and when you think about it in like the 90s, that was the ultimate power move. What are we going to do? Go to iTunes? Fuck you. <laughs> if you can't buy the single, you're either waiting around on the radio a lot with a cassette ready to go or you're going to get the damn album. How did Nookie chart? Because I do remember that one being pretty everywhere at the time, even though... Um, so it did really well on alt- me just listening through the album. It did really well on alt rock radio. Uh, it and it, it came up to number eighty on the Hot 100. So not like a big pop smash, but it did really well on alt rock radio. Rearranged, in fact, is their only number one single in the states that went to number one on the alt rock radio charts as well. But not a big pop singles band. And I, and I like I said, I think that's by design. I think that they were withholding those so people bought the full length. That's another case where you have to look back to MTV because Nookie was every fourth uh, video played. Uh, and yes, of course, yes, of course. This is like like Nookie. From what I've I've just heard from people, Nookie and Freak on a Leash were inescapable. Like you turn MTV on, and there they were, like those two yeah. videos. If I'm not mistaken, Freak on a Leash is the reason TRL had to institute a 65 day rule. Got the life because it spent. Oh, is it got the life? Is it got, got the life? life? That was the first one retired. Okay, okay, cool. Um. By the way, so I, I just realized this. I was looking at it now. So speaking of fucking networking, it's time for the Break Stuff video. Fourth single from the record. They're By this point, they're probably pretty big slash huge. They're probably huge by this point. Well, I mean, uh, they got Eminem on there, so. So, of course, Fred's like, hey, let's get Snoop Dogg in the video. Let's get Dr. Dre in the video. Let's get Eminem in the video. Let's get or uh, let's get everyone we can in the video. And I'm sure he was going around shaking hands. Dr. Were you going to say, so let's get Orgy in the video as if Jay Gordon is on the same I, level as I, the three men you named prior? I, I mixed it up for a second there with yes. Got the Life. I mixed Something it up tells me he wasn't busy that year. But it's it's like, you know, it was like he was like, hey, let's go around. Let's go around and uh, bring all these big celebs into into our video and then on on the the, the, oh, the yes, marshall matters L- video what's up i remember this video i was just trying to remember which this one was yeah the skate park uh, one. yes guys love making videos at the time where everybody dressed like the lead singer yeah especially when they have like a bunch of women dressed like a lead singer they really love oh, yeah. That. yeah that's right that's right that's right that's right i wonder what they're up to now um so and then and Dr. Drake kind of returned the favor in kind though when he shouted out Limp Biscuit on the Marshall Mathers LP track, "Bitch Please" to that same year and and he 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 says like we start riots like Limp Biscuit, which is funny because it's like wait, didn't didn't Eminem diss Limp Biscuit on that same album or was that the next album? It was later. It was later. that was later. Okay, that was the Eminem <laughs> show. No, it was uh, uh without me he disses him encore. A Devil's Night, the D12 record. But Chris yes, Kirkpatrick, you can get your ass kicked worse right. than the little Limp Bizkit bastard. That does, that's, that's without me. Yeah, that does happen later on, too. No. But I, th- I I was reading something about this, that there was a... it Was there a discarded uh, Eminem Limp Bizkit? Uh, yes. There was a collab from this era. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. It's called Turn Me Loose. It has a weird... It's very wacky beat. It's a good song, though. It's a yeah. good song, though. It's and, leaked uh, in the years since. And then, you're right, it's it goes it's a good song it wasn't a hit eminem, eminem is, backed out it uses his uh who knew verse on there for the first verse and it's a fun song to listen to because of course fred's like penning like he's like he's like sweating he's like i gotta step up my lyric game so you can hear fred just do so like so many words in this he's, he's like he's i'm doing no like longer kind the of best an eminem, he's doing kind of like an eminem jig in there it's so it's, <laughs> it's kind of cute um of course we got to talk about woodstock 99 happening and I'm I'm actually trying to piece this timeline together because one of the things that so obviously like the 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 
dominant narrative, especially amongst us faithful, is like it's like hey, Fred had nothing to do with this. Fred was an innocent bystander. He was just he wasn't an innocent bystander, but he was he was just you know he was just talent. He was just there at the show. It's not fair to lay all the blame on him. However, <laughs> however, right? So. I, I had noticed this when we were talking. Break Stuff came out as a single in 2000. So Break Stuff comes out as a single like a year after Woodstock 99 happens. Do you guys remember the rearranged video? Where they're yes, like, they're like room? With, with the milk. Yeah, and then get executed the in the most torturous way possible. Right. Boiled and in milk. Yeah, drowned. That's a good point. They get drowned. They are drowned. Milk, milk. Milk. So gross. I feel like even for America, that's a pretty brutal method of execution. Like we don't drown people. I'm pretty sure when yeah, the founding fathers be than what we actually do. Unusual, that's what they meant. Oh, geez, we're choppoing. It's becoming a Chapo Trap House episode. Is that what you guys talk about? <laughs> I have no fucking idea. Yeah, um, we talk about we talk about uh, we do constitutional interpretations every episode. Yeah, they're strong great. sovereign citizens over there. Okay, yes. let's do one. Let's do one right now. So, in 1998, a kid wears a corn T-shirt to school and gets sent home by the principal for wearing the corn T-shirt. So, corn naturally prints up a bunch of t-shirts that say you can't like hey first amendment rights they go to the school they hand out the t-shirt to all the kids about how it's like a violation of the first amendment and i put this question to my twitter one time i was like i was like was it i was like so if it was a public school and they censored this kid's shirt does it actually mean it was a first amendment violation and someone said no because you have like you, like the school has parental rights, is given parental rights by the state. <laughs> it depends on if they're doing it as a political statement or not. Yeah, I had this explained to me in the principal's office when I was in trouble for one of my shirts. Well, hold on. Let's and, let the let's let the Chapo Trap House representative give his his take. Well, what I'm mostly thinking is, would a fandom of corn uh, or a corn like band be considered woke or anti woke? Oh, by to today's rubric, oh, good uh, in your uh, in, in let's say a, a Fort Lauderdale area public school right around now, like today or in '99 or whatever. I think to, to like today, obviously, corn itself is like they're so old right now that you're not going to really get in, in trouble for that. But I'm trying to think of like something that presented exactly like corn by the day's standards. Contemporaneously, I'd say they would not be woke. But I think by today's standards, they would be woke because they were writing songs about gay, about like sympathizing with gay people. And like, uh, you know, what's funny is like, dude, right wing right wingers would have boycotted and like burned all their merch when um, Fred and, and Jonathan rapped about fucking each other at the end of All in the Family. That would have been <laughs> such a big deal. They're pitching the fucking gay agenda to our kids. Wild. I guess they're woke. That's, that's what I'm trying to figure out is that it's it's like. Again, if these things, if this, if this kind of stuff was popping right now, like how would it fit? Because the so the, the, the heuristic has completely changed about what yeah. people are mad about. Because at the time, yeah, again, another I thing that it. if you're slightly older, if you, it, it's hard to convey. Again, along the lines of like just how dangerous this stuff felt, because it, you know there was an argument in mainstream that literally like, corn and Marilyn Manson had caused Col Columbine, and that this stuff is not just insidious in that it is warping or corrupting our children but that it is like literally dangerous and that it is producing physical violence and there's something and something like 99 and that's something, something that has been, been burned out and now we're we're talking about whether or not it makes people gay yeah <laughs> something no been, i i okay something that's been i'm getting i'm gonna cancel for talking over our female co-host please actually i want to hear your point i talk enough okay 
it's fine. I'm also so annoying. Um, so you were saying something earlier too, Chris, about like how dumb the lyrics are and like how there's no like something that you're trying to find in it. There's no like poetic twist, but I feel like with this whole album and like Limp Bizkit in general and like, I don't know, like every band at Woodstock 99, like the narrative, like how people talk about it, how people mythologize it is like what they want is for there to be something in specifically the lyrics. Like they want the lyrics to be like a magic spell that makes teens violent in a way that I think like, like, of course, if you are only looking at the lyrics, nothing is going to make sense to you about like, Mm -hmm why this music is appealing, why people like it, like the energy of a performance. Um, furthering my point that Limp Bizkit is in fact not a new metal band. They are an avant-garde performance art collective. Uh, okay, I can get down with that. <laughs> like like most new uh, metal bands, like all the good ones. If, if, I, if I can, yeah. uh, uh, y- yes and that. Um, and I, I hate to, to direct people back to my own work, but that is very similar to something that uh, was said by Chapo's Matt Chrisman on an and introducing episode where we were covering 9-11 in music. Um, and we were talking about Limp Bizkit again because the Roland video uh, was shot on the top of the Twin Towers. Yeah, it uh, was. And I believe he it won a VMA on September 10th. 2001. Yeah, we just they got about, a letter from the owners of the World Trade Center on that day. <laughs> yes. So we we're just talking about like Limp Bizkit's place and, and Matt was opining that, you know, one way to look at the Woodstock 99 and specifically him saying break stuff, the specifically the performance of break stuff at Woodstock 99 is of this plea the this uh non-specific but omnidirectional plea for some kind of catastrophic cataclysmic violence to give shape and meaning to the end of the century the end of the millennium the end of history as people were talking about uh in the late 90s uh which was then answered you know uh review said the word incantation which was then uh answered by 9-11 uh not too much later and so I, I do think that there is something in, in what you were talking about, like, yes, very deeply spiritually there in this this kind of, uh, you know, nihilistic any everywhere need for anger and destruction with no specific target. Uh, and that is, you know, I, it, it took some time to see it. But I, I guess I, I'm agreeing with you that that is the the poetic twist in the end. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, this is like a very this is a very old discourse this idea that like I don't know like poetry or theater or something that like provokes emotional catharsis can like inflame people to violence or inflame people like to action or or to right like to spring, a physical baby. effect um what right 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 to spring uh you know violent you know riots at the opera because the the music was too uh too too uh, uh violent and, and inflaming of the passions Oh, we're talking about Rights of Spring? Great. I'm going to talk about the fucking replacements. So in the replacement <laughs> song, Bastards of Young, and it's like 50-50, <laughs> I have this lyric right, but I'm going to roll with it. Where where, uh, where the lead singer, wow, blanking like crazy. Anyone? Anyone? Paul Westerberg uh, says, they've got no war to name us. Woodstock 99 is Gen X's war. There we go. This is them creating a war for themselves that they can name themselves after. Yeah. Fuck yeah, I did it. This has been Holly Kirk with Okay, good. so but getting way back to my original point, 
by the time Woodstock 99 actually happened, the only single that was out from this album was Nookie. It was the only single that was actually from this album. And then Rearranged, which came out all the way in October, because that's how slow the music industry moved back then. You could space things out. In the video for Rearranged, they are playing up the idea that they were responsible for Woodstock 99. There's like newspaper, like fake newspaper clippings like Biscuit in trouble or should Biscuit be in jail? So when we talk about how it's like not fair for Limp Biscuit to be blamed for what happened at Woodstock 99, at the same time, Fred definitely saw a marketing opportunity there. He did lean into the angle. Like he he was, he was, he, you know, he he did play into it. And I'm not, you know, I don't disparage that necessarily, but you know, you kind of, you kind of do get where people figure that out. But I think it's yeah. worth parsing out if they're leaning into, yes, we did it, or people are saying that we did it, because I also think just like on a very real level, like Woodstock '99, in no small part, was caused by poor emergency planning and putting people with no experience in charge of a huge festival. Absolutely. They just didn't it was do like, it. Was like, it, it was like everything that big that fails. It was logistics. It was caused by logistics. It was bad infrastructure. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, we, it was cost cutting. If you primarily. watch the documentaries, or at least the Netflix one, if you watch the documentary and not just like have it on idly in the background, you can't leave without the impression that it was their fault. It was the organizer's fault. There's, there's nothing else to even say. That's insane. It's crazy to imagine that like Limp Bizkit could go on stage at like 2022 Coachella and somehow get the place fucking burned to the ground just through their own <laughs> power. Like it can't. It was the, f the festival was just ready to go. And I know this is true yeah. because Limp Bizkit played on day two two. I think day day two. two and corn was day one and from like most accounts that i can hear day one was like pretty fun day two a little less so and then day three is when they actually burned the whole place to the ground during the uh right after the red hot chili peppers set so it was like a continuous degradation of of like environment and experiences kind of like new york city right now so i i think that there's all kinds of parallels that can be drawn chris froze by the way Oh boy! I'm gonna take a screenshot of this. We'll use it in our an emoji on our Discord uh, server. Oh great! I got his ass. I wonder if he's gone. Gone. Frozen. Internet in Los Angeles is not the best. So, Pussy how Riot is internet in Los Angeles not the best? Very I don't know. Nice. I think it would be because all the production back. companies take it up. So that's that is though. That is, and now those are my thoughts on Significant Other. What is everyone's favorite Significant Other deep cut? 1999. That is a good one. I do like that song. Ooh, who's not? Who's not? I like. Um, I've always thought "Don't Go Off Wandering" was a pretty, it's a good kind one. of a, a beautiful little song. I, I really like, like the original version of "Show Me What You Got" when it was called Cambodia. Oh, and it I had actual know. lyrics and not just Fred Durst naming cities. I don't His know, Animaniacs moment. His Animaniacs yeah. moment. I don't know if I've heard that one. That's crazy. There's only a live recording. There's no studio <laughs> version that's been released to the public. Some of their merch around that era was it was the the two girls that would have been on like the side of a bomb in the fifties and it said Ladies Night in Cambodia. So well that was the tour. So so yeah. clever guy, clever fucking guy. You guys know what the, the ladies night in Cambodia gimmick was, right? Women got in for free for the whole tour. Just that was it. If you were a woman, <laughs> you got in for free. And obviously, like every date sold out and there were women packed at every show, you know? Clever guy. Okay, who was uh, defending I, no sex? By the way, I was. You know, Aaron Lewis is on that track. Hold yes, on. that's true. But uh, 
It was nice to know you. He wasn't a piece of shit. He is now. This time. That's a See, great it's one. infectious. It's a good song. I know Lane Staley spun a few times in his grave when they put that one out. Um, before we lose Chris, when he died three years later, did yeah. we already lose Chris? Here, let's all do this pose. Oh no, I'm I'm still I'm still here. Oh, he's still here. He's still here. here. No, okay. right. no, right. Stop posing. Stop we're, posing. we're all gonna do it. Uh, I know it was a spare earlier, but I actually really uh, uh enjoy "I'm Broke." I think it's funny. Oh, "I'm Broke" rules. I think "I'm Broke" is a is a great song. I really like the riffs. I do not like the lyrics, though. I like "I'm Broke." Do we not like? Uh, I'm Bro- I didn't know people. I didn't can't like stand "I'm Broke." I'm broke. Oh, what's I ain't the, no what's joke. the lie? That's what's because Grand doesn't like. Because you got because you got bad credit. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. I'm not a bank, Let's and you guys should be credit. Trash. Don't be coming for my cash. Yes. Nah, this is a good. This is a good song. This is a good song. And I say that as someone that's you also broke. I'm coming uh, around on it. Never mind. I'm broke. Is good. See, that's the thing about significant <laughs> other man. You listen to the tracks. You you talk shit about the tracks. Then you listen to the tracks in isolation, and you're like, it's pretty good actually. That's pretty good. This is pretty. Good. No, it sucks. Uh, nobody like you is well, my favorite. Cran, we can't trust your best opinions guess given what you think of toxicity. We do, we're not bringing up fucking system on this one. Just no, drop it. <laughs> Too late. We did. Hey, actually, no, they are relevant. Serge Tankian was supposed to have a feature on this fucking was. album. He was supposed Which... to be on No Sex, believe it or not. No, no that's they were a little bit, weren't they? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not true. That's not true. That's yeah, not true. it is. It's supposed to be Serge Tankian and Aaron Lewis. No, it is. That doesn't sound don't, right. It's don't go off wandering. It's don't go. I off swear wandering. to God, it was no sex. But if no. you just looked it up, then I'm wrong. I'll concede. I, I could, but... I could, I could definitely see Serge hearing that and being like, "I'm not, I'm not singing on this." I could also see him hearing it and then going, "I'm definitely singing on this." Well, not if he's if done the some weird shit over the years. Are to be believed, they were bumping heads with System a little bit because of the Taproot thing. Oh, because yeah. System helped them get signed to Atlantic, and they Did... got kicked off Family Values allegedly uh, as a result. Did we ask Stephen about that? He brought it up on his own. Oh, okay. He yeah. said they're cool now. He's hoping to perform with them at Blue Ridge or Blue Rock. No, oh, yeah, nice. That would be cool. So, all right. Well, in the uh, in the great tradition of 1999, though, no, 1990. I mean, it's like the 1990s album ever made. What else came out this year? Hold on. Slipknot came out a week later. Yeah, Slipknot self titled. There's a lot of stuff that came out this year. And and I think that that's like the perfect diametric split for new metal is like Significant Other and Slipknot. That's like the two coming apart and going in their separate directions. And 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 like in the you know you had bands like merging ideas from up top, but it was that was like that was the peel apart moment for sure. And let me just tell you, I was fully invested in that feud, and I was on Team Slipknot 100. percent 100%? 100%? Seems like you were kind 110,000%. 10 million. Ooh, okay. Because Cran doesn't like silly boys. Cran is Cran does not That's like silly I need my boys to be theory. dead serious. It I want it. my boys in jumpsuits. You're right. I need my boys to be dead serious. The grandfather quote of the century. I, oh, is this week by week? Oh, it's week by week. Shit. It is, it is the on. silly serious dichotomy between what, what, we're, what we're doing here with this. Okay, 1999. Uh, Significant Other is the 17th best selling album of the year, right under First Love by Utada Hikaru, uh, Japanese J pop singer. Um, who who wants to give it a guess at number one? I'll tell you what, No Strings Attacks by NSYNC. What year did that come out? Mm, I'm just, yeah, I know, right? Like, you're like, you're like, fuck you, I don't know. I didn't, we could have been the one right after that pop. I don't know, that was 96. That came out. So, uh, I was a freshman in high school when that came out. No strings attached came out in either zero or a one. 
I'll tell you what, though. It's the number one record of this year. I don't think I would have guessed this because it sold a lot more than the second place follow-up. J-Lo? Uh, no, it's Millennium by the Backstreet Boys. Uh, 40 million. I was, I was almost going to ask, this isn't, this isn't the Jagged Little Pill year, is it? Ew, no, no. That was 94 or 95. That year is so over. Yes, yes. 40 fucking million copies worldwide this album sold. Wow. That's That's insane. Jesus. I would not have. I would. I would not have been able. I would not have guessed. It that. should have sold double. Should have, should have went double. <laughs> it's a good fucking album, man. What's, every, what's everyone's favorite Is... Millennium deep cut? I'm a big fan of Spanish. Oh, uh, how can you pick? How can you pick? I don't know. Maybe it's a good album. I wasn't allowed to own it though. I think my dad thought it was kind of gay, so <laughs> I wasn't. I, I really wanted it. By the way, I really wanted this, and I really wanted No Strings Attached, and I think my dad was like, "No son of mine." <laughs> no son of mine so did not have this but that i mean really those are it's like it's like like i said like significant other doesn't come in all the way on this list down to like number 17 creed by the way at number nine um but i feel like that for a certain sort of teenager it was backstreet boys versus limp biscuit like that was that was what defined that year for you certainly if you're watching trl all the time that's what that's what that year was yeah, let me uh that came out in the summer of 99. I was going into my senior year of high school and the biggest piece of shit bully in our entire class came back to school with a shirt that said I come to school for the nookie. Wow, I kind of can't believe you can still like this band after that. How do you print a shirt like that? Like you can only market that to teenagers and you're already a creep for marketing that to teenagers. Yeah, not 1999. I don't know <laughs> like, if that's an official shirt. It doesn't I don't think it is. He became a cop by the way, so. Of course he did. Really? He went. He probably he went still lowest, goes. To, I'm not gonna even finish that. Lowest common denominator. There was not a huge new metal contingent in my school. It was mostly pop heads and pop punk heads. So the the harder edge stuff for new metal it was always a um, a secret a secret love of mine. At least the few albums that I that I really uh, enjoyed. So I never I never shared these quite publicly. Until now. We didn't hear you either because uh, you broke up during that. But that's why I'm got glad the gist you're recording. Of it, that's why I'm well, glad you're recording, recording locally. You're recording locally, so we will find well, out. With that, my, my Are we your debutante actually... ball for new metal? Yes, basically. Uh, <laughs> with that, I will say that my not only is my internet failing, but I do have to run. Um, true. True. So I will take this moment to uh, to you know. Uh, say thank you guys so much for having me uh, I gave all my plugs at the beginning so I don't need to do that again uh, thank you for he- helping me revisit this album I was I had a blast listening to it a bunch this week uh, and and I welcome will, to the um, agenda Chris I'm happy We're going to be back thank now you so much for having me thank see you man um, see ya uh, thank you so much Holiday, I'll, s- I'll send you the the files uh, now I'll try to get them to you before I head out appreciate it thank you all right thank you bye guys we should move on though from the album just because our guest left and um start talking about Chapo Trap House. No, we could start talking <laughs> about season three of the New Metal Agenda, the podcast, back better than ever. Yeah, welcome to the show, Riviera. Welcome to the show, Riviera. <laughs> Riviera is going to become our new regular co-host, at least while she can before she disappears into the woods. Ron Josenthal had to go back to his own planet. Oh, you know Ron what's Joe's funny though is that band. like after I disappear into the woods, right? So okay, so I'm I'm gonna go work at a summer camp in two weeks. In the woods. In the woods. Um but because they have like a little like camper recording studio and a like camper radio station, yeah. all the kids go to sleep at 10. Y'all are on the west coast. 
So like I'll be done with everything. Perfect. So it'll probably be, I will probably have a less busted setup than I do now living in the woods. Even better, we get to introduce you formally with this first episode and then spend five episodes without you on it because we already recorded those episodes. So, <laughs> so true. Oops. Hello, Riv. But Goodbye forever. <laughs> wow, she did not last. Man, they, they axed her from the team quick. Man, we can start like... We can lore. stagger the episodes. We can figure it out. Make it look oh, like... Oh, you uh, absolutely don't funny. have to. I think it's way funnier to make up fake beef. That's what fucking happened with John. <laughs> John, we were like, we were, John, we were like, John's here. John's the new co-host. John will be here forever. We love John so much. <laughs> he was on one Immediately episode. gone. One episode disappeared. John, if you're listening, we love you. Sorry it didn't work out. Well, listeners, stick the fuck around because I'm going to tell you what. I think on the very next episode, the one after this one, you're going to be hearing from like my ultimate dream guest. Not going to blow it for who it is, but it's mm-hmm. like the biggest guest hey, I've, I've ever wanted on here. Yeah, swollen teeth. Fuck you. Now, that's coming out tomorrow, actually. Oh, wow. I need to, I need to finish editing that. But um, yeah, man. So season three of the New Mile Agenda. Stick around. Listen in. This this is the season where I go bankrupt. <laughs> you're going to be in real time listening to my desperation mount. As I run out of money, um, but and this is the but, season where I started drinking again. So oh no, up. this is uh, this is the most stressful period for everyone's life except for Riv. Riv is just relaxing. Oh, untrue. Oh, once great. okay, next two weeks, great. Once I go to camp, eight shows in eight weeks with children. It's gonna be great. It's That's be my existence. So, so good. Hold on, you got like what? How many of everyone's face You got like emojis. 12 kids, 13 kids, how many you got? Uh, 70,000. Okay, Basically. Cool. No, I've got uh, four. That's kind of a lot. That is a lot, yeah. I mean, it's but like I a mean, reasonable lot, but but it is kind of a lot. I think when you have four kids, they kind of like help raise each other, so it takes the load off your shoulders. Does it? Like the oldest one kind of takes care of the youngest one. Well, I do feel like having pairs is probably better. I was one of three, and like two would always up to something my brother fucking had a kid i'm a i'm an uncle yeah my, congratulations my had a child and that's I, wild and what's it's since like i'm super undiagnosed autistic or just suck i might just suck <laughs> they text me pictures of this kid i have no clue what to say i'm just like a, i'm like a baby exclamation mark that's all i got <laughs> what am i supposed to say what do i say am i supposed to i'm the proudest baby? uncle alive i don't right know now. but that's what Fuck. i always do that is what so... i'm supposed to be saying that is what i'm supposed to say You're even right. if you don't mean it just oh say wow it. that is a baby that's what i that said certainly that certainly is, is a breathing creature i i think it, i know at one point i said to that my mom, is come you get to keep as a pet wow that's too far i am not <laughs> cutting that out <laughs> i i that's a guy that's a, i didn't say that but I did say a child. So it could be worse. I just do. I just, I can only do objective assessments of the situation. It's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like a, I'm like a commander surveying the battlefield. I'm like, yeah, we've got a baby over here. We've got three sniper positions potential up here. We should be bombing that building out. I don't know what just, to say. I think you're taking on as a pet. At the end of that. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to, to keep to plug that, but I gotta go see. I, I know that I know that I'm fucked up because I'm like making these New York plans for for when I get to New York to like because I'm doing this boat party in New York next month and I'm making plans blow it up like friends brothers. and stuff for like what we're gonna do around that. And at one point I said I was like I've also got to see my brother's new baby, but I can I can shuffle that around. It's like, like very <laughs> it's not going anywhere. 
I was like, I was like low prior, low pry, low pry. I mean, I what's the worst that's going to happen? He's going to grow up and you're going to miss out. Wait, I'm going to do a Zoom. I'll text my brother tomorrow. I'll be like, hey, can I Zoom with the baby? It's going to be, I'm going to be swamped. I'm sorry, man. I'm going to be swamped. So Cram, you have to come your, your nephew. But, yeah, but the boat. Based on your experience as a father, Crayon, do babies understand screams? Yeah. I bet these, this no. modern crop of babies do. When he's like one, he'll get it. But right now they're just, they're dumb as hell, dude. Yeah, so it'll be like the same thing. It'll be like I so was. I there. guess the pet line was pretty accurate. Then there might as well just be a cat. Yeah, he won't even remember you saw him until he's like two and a half or three. You got time. This is what he I'll might say. not even be shading his pants by then. But I might. Um, this is Holiday <laughs> Kirk with the New Metal Agenda. Thank you all for tuning into the premiere of season number three. Thank you so much to Cranfather, who I'd like to reiterate has been absolutely whipping ass at the scheduling game, working with emails better than I have ever worked with emails in my entire life. We owe him everything. I should postmates this man a slice of cheesecake or something because he has been absolutely crushing <laughs> it. So thank you again. The running gag in which I hated you is just over now. It's not happening anymore. I, I can't. I'm do still it giving anymore. you shit for toxicity though. You're Sorry. gonna have to be the one because it's over. It's over. I can't do That's it. Fair. Thank you so much, Double Z, for showing up and showing out. It's great to have you back, Riv. Thank you so much for joining the team. We needed a token. Fee- we needed a female president <laughs> on the show so <laughs> no, bad. We needed that. We needed that representation to make it was great having you on. I understand why you're resigning. I don't blame you. Because that's how I maintain tax-free status. And this has been Holly Kirk with the New Metal Agenda. Wishing you all the greatest of nights. Remember to support new bands, listen to this music at all at all times. And